going? I am Courtney Skinner. I am a hairstylist. I am Arlie Smart. I am a chef. I am a father. I am a foster father. I am an instructor. Uh, my name is Danny Easton. I'm a general contractor. I'm a carpenter. I'm a Christian. I am an ambassador. I am an ambassador. I am. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you all here today. And I just want to say again, thank you to Alex. I know it wasn't easy to get up here and look all these scary people in the face and share what God has done in your life. But thank you, because that's why the church exists, to help people meet, know, love, and serve Jesus Christ with their lives. And we will be having her be baptized at the end of uh, our service this morning. So family members, hang in there. Uh, thank you for showing up. Uh, it's an awesome privilege to uh, witness this. And I just want to say thanks again to the music team. You guys just do a great job of lifting our hearts up. Um, I, I am uh, wonderfully embarrassed how good the people of God are here, and I get to serve with y'all. So this is good stuff. Well, good morning. My name is Bill Walker. For those of you who may not know me, I am one of the pastors here at Grace Church. And uh, we are doing this summer series simply called, Who Do You Think You Are?, it's not really meant to be said with an edge, who do you think you are? It's, it's really designed to be said, hey, who are you? Because you know the answer to that question gives you a sense of identity, and with identity always comes purpose. And so the question is this, who are you? And you know, for some of us here, that means uh, I am a spouse. And that title of being a husband to my wife means there are certain things that I should be doing. And there are certain things that I shouldn't be doing. All because of that identity of being the husband to my wife. And so guys, there are certain things you should be doing. And there are some things you better not be doing in order to be the husband to your wife. And ladies, vice versa for your husbands. Now if you're a parent... Wow, I found it easier going from being single to being married than I did from going being married to being a parent. I found that the bigger transition and the harder one. And so if you're a parent here, there are certain things that you will do in light of that identity because you're a parent for your children. And quite frankly, there are some things you shouldn't be doing in light of that identity because you're a parent to your children. All that to say... We all wear many hats. You know, you, you're an employee for a certain place. Your, your relationships identify you. But no place is that any more clear than in the scriptures as to what it means to be a child of God. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there are many titles or names or forms of identity that God gives to us, and each one helps us to clarify what is it we are to be doing to honor God. And as you can see, we have five of them listed here. I am a disciple. We looked at last week together. Today, I am an ambassador. I am a masterpiece next week. I am an overcomer. I am salt and light. We're going to walk down through these. Now, these are only five of nearly 30 different designations the New Testament has. So we're barely scratching the surface, but these are powerful forms of identity, and with each form of identity comes a sense of, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? So today, 
I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me, and I mean this seriously. I know I always just project all the words, uh, but actually today we're going to do a little chasing round in the Bible. I want to kind of challenge us a little bit more in the future to actually be turning pages of Scripture, or really how fast you can move your iPhone to get to the Scriptures on it, I don't know. But I want us to start using the Bible more as God's people and not just viewing it. But... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. Now, uh, once we get the, uh, the renovation done, under each and every chair there will be a nice new copy of the ESV Bible. And I will reference pages in the future, page numbers, to make things easier. But I want us to get some of the scriptures in our fingers so it goes into our hearts uh, in that manner. So... What I normally do is we, we define a topic, and today the topic is uh, I am an ambassador, and we'll talk more about that in a second, and I usually put up the scriptures like this, and today I'm going to do this. We're going to look at the passage of scripture together, but we're actually going to do it just a little bit different. Does anybody here know what responsive reading is? Responsive reading. That means that I'm going to read part as kind of the leader, and then there will be a part that you will read, and then I will read and you will read. And we're going to do that down through this portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, 10 through 21. Now, just to make things easier, I am going to read the words in white, and you are going to read the words in yellow. So this makes it that much easier. You don't have to really wonder what you're supposed to read. And so I will read, and then you will read, and then I will read, and you will read, and we will make our way through this portion of Scripture. Now, the only way we can really do this so that we can all see is we all need to stand. Let's all stand, and if you're real short, feel free to stand on your chair. That's okay. You can stand on your chair. If you, no, you don't have to. Okay, everybody's going to stand. And I know you're kind of trying to look through people. That's okay. Look through people. And so I'm going to begin by reading in the white, and then you follow up reading in the yellow. Any questions? <laughs> All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, this is a communication written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. For we all... For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is actually in the heart. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Okay, the rest of it goes like this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Very well said. By the way, that's my favorite verse in the Bible. That's my life verse right there. But notice what the Apostle Paul says. We are ambassadors for Christ. So say it with me. I am an ambassador. One more time. I am an ambassador. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we make our way into this beautiful portion of Scripture, that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts as to where we are on the journey of faith. Bring us one more step closer to where you want us to be to honor and glorify you. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, Savior and Lord. In his name I pray. And the people of God said? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So was that fun? It was a little different. It's kind of high church. And every once in a while we like to kind of shake things up. Have everybody get a, a different perspective uh, on things. So I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. What does that even mean? Now, we live in, obviously, D.C. area. This is the area where virtually every other country has a consulate somewhere in the city. And in these consulates, there are diplomats. You know, we drive around the Beltway and we see the diplomatic plates everywhere we go, which means they can go as fast as they want and do anything they want. Why? Because they have diplomatic immunity, right? So they can pretty well do what they want. So in each of these consulates, there is one chief person and that chief person is the ambassador from a foreign country to the United States of America. So an ambassador is, by definition, an official envoy, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, accredited to a foreign government or sovereign, notice, as the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign. In other words, these people are actually citizens from another country who come and live in this country, and they are diplomatic agents on behalf of their homeland to America. So how does that fit us? If we are ambassadors for Christ, what does that mean in context for the child of God? I am an ambassador, according to the Apostle Paul. Well, it means this. We are Jesus Christ's envoys. And we today are living in a foreign land, the United States of America, as resident representatives of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the head of the kingdom of God. And so today, as God's people, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, we have become aliens to this country we have become pilgrims in this country 
We have become ambassadors in this country. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Because now I am a child of the king and my true citizenship is in heaven. I, I love what a man by the name of uh, Joseph Stoll had to say in his wonderful book, Eternity. Reclaiming a passion for what actually really endures. Notice what he said. Using heaven as our point of reference lends new balance to life on earth and it provides fresh alternatives for a world that is filled with hollow pursuits. I don't know if you know this or not, but most of this life is nothing more than a hollow pursuit. It's empty. When you get to the end, believing it's going to satisfy, it never does. Why? Because we belong to the world to come. In fact, since that world has already been planted in our hearts by faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit has come into us, we are already citizens of heaven. This present world can only make sense when we realize that while we live here, we don't really belong here. We belong in heaven alongside our Father and creator so you know that feeling that nothing feels like it works nothing quite feels right everything just feels off nothing quite satisfies why child of god you're not home yet you see in his presence is fullness of joy and riches forevermore ultimately in his presence all things will make sense but right now we're longing for home, and he has left us here. Why, Jesus, did you leave us here? To be my official envoys. I want you to be my representatives in a foreign land on my behalf. And the ministry that I'm giving to you as my ambassador is simply this. Our mission for Christ is this thing called reconciliation. Reconciliation. In fact, we read together just a few moments ago these words. I'll read the white, you read the yellow. He gave us the ministry of? In Christ, God was the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ. I changed it there. I put it in quotations, and I put an exclamation after it. So I altered the text. Please forgive me. But I really believe that's the point he's trying to make. You see, as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, our purpose now in this world is to go around and to tell everyone, you must be reconciled to Jesus Christ. Come back to God. This is why he has left us here as his envoys in this foreign land. We are to be his ambassadors who are seeking to reconcile people to Jesus Christ. So... The Apostle Paul gave us this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then he, he began uh, with these words. Knowing the fear of the Lord, and we'll talk about what that means in just a moment, but knowing the fear of the Lord, he goes, we actively seek to persuade other people. 
And friends, that's our mission today. As a child of God, our purpose in this world, the reason he hasn't taken us home, is he's left us here as his envoys, as his official representatives in a foreign land, so that we would consistently seek to persuade people to become followers of Jesus Christ. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul did this. I want to show you a little bit about his, his background, a little bit how Paul did this. And then I, I want us to see what ultimately motivated Paul is meant to motivate us in this endeavor as well. So let me show you a little bit about how the Apostle Paul sought to persuade others about their need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is a picture of the Mediterranean world. Down here is Jerusalem. Uh, up there is Thessalonica. And in Paul's mission, and this is his second missionary journey. He had three journeys. This was the second. His missionary journeys were always about telling people, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. Be reconciled to the one who loves you and gave his son for you. So let me show you how he convinced people. So it says in the book of Acts, and I'm just going to walk through several scriptures from Acts. When he was in the city of Thessalonica, way up there in Macedonia is the, the word Thessalonica, that city. It says in Acts chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, these words. Explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, he said this. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And verse 4 says, and some of the Jews were persuaded. And they joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of the God-fearing Greeks, and not a few of the prominent women. So he explained, and he proved, and they were persuaded. This is our mission. We are to explain and to prove so that people would be persuaded or convinced of the reality of a need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul went down just a little bit further, down into Corinth. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 4 says this, Every Sabbath, every Saturday, when the synagogue was there, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogues trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul is going around this part of the world seeking to persuade people to be reconciled to God. He later went over to the, the city of Ephesus, back over here in Asia Minor. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, it says this, And he entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months. You think my messages are long. Okay, that's just a aside. So he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. In fact, so persuasive was he that in Acts chapter 19 and verse 26, Demetrius, the silversmith in Ephesus, complained. Do you see and hear this fellow Paul? He has convinced and led so many people astray here in Ephesus that practically all the province of Asia knows Christ. He was so persuasive, so convincing about the reality of a people's relationship with Jesus Christ that everywhere he went, he was able to do this. Later on, he came down. He finished up his journey. He went down to Jerusalem. There he offered um, a right back to God. He was actually arrested there and taken back up to Caesarea under, under bond. And there in Caesarea in a prison before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verses 28 and 29, it says this. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time that you, Paul, can persuade me, the king, to become a Christian? And Paul replied, I love this. 
He goes, short time, long time, I don't know. I pray that God will not only bring you, but all who are listening to me today, that you all may become what I am, except for these chains that I'm wearing. That's awesome. And then ultimately he was taken to Rome, where it says in Acts chapter 28, verse 23, it says, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in in very large numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning until evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. I just read a whole list of acts of Paul moving around the Mediterranean world, risking life and limb to share this good news about Jesus Christ, this need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Why would he subject himself to all this hardship, all this stress, all these difficulties, all these challenges. You're like, what are all these difficulties? What are all these stresses? What are all these challenges? If you have your Bible, flip over just a couple of pages from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As Paul was seeking to uh, reconcile people to Jesus Christ as he was telling them to come back to God, as he was seeking to convince and persuade them, I do want you to notice what he went through. Beginning in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, listen to what he says. Five times, five times, I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. The Jews would never do 30 complete lashes. I'm sorry, uh, 40 complete lashes because if they miscounted, they didn't want to do too many. So they'd always do 39 in case they miscounted. But I want you to notice what he's saying. You know, 5 times 39 is like 195 lashes with a whip on his back. Dude, you're crazy. And then he says after that, he goes... Um, then I was beaten with rods. He doesn't even, well, he does, three times I was beaten with rods. Now, in, in the eastern part of the world, uh, in Southeast Asia, they cane people. They take a cane and they raise up welts by hitting you with a cane. And that's what he's referring to in his own experience. So he said, once I was stoned, and this is with rocks, I just want you to know. And then three times I was shipwrecked. A night, yes, yeah, some of you are getting that, okay. A night and a day uh, in, in the sea. Uh, and he goes, and I was adrift in the sea. Now notice, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, I guess they were flooding and he'd have to afford them, uh, dangers from robbers who were always looking for easy prey, in dangers from his own people, referring to the Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger uh, in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger in the sea, uh, danger from false brothers in toil and hardships through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Dude! And, and you feel like you've been persecuted for Jesus' sake when somebody looks at you sideways because you mentioned his name. Oh my gosh, I feel so... Be I feel <laughs> Not really. Not really. But Why? Why would, uh, why would Paul be willing to allow himself to be subjected to such brutality in his willingness 
to bring reconciliation to these various peoples in, who stood in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why was he willing to do this? Now, the answer to that question is the key, I think, for us to be willing to risk a little bit. I'm not asking you to take 39 lashes five times. I'm not asking you to be beaten with a cane three times. I'm not asking you to lay in the ocean overnight. That sounded weird. I'm just asking you to reach out to somebody near to you who needs a relationship with Jesus Christ and risk a little. Why would we be willing to do that? If Paul would do it for the reasons I'm about to show you, I think we should do this much in our efforts, likewise, to tell people to be reconciled to God. So there are, there are three quick reasons, and I'm going to walk through these quite, quite quickly, but each one is very powerful. The first reason Paul gives, and we read it already, uh, is what I would call the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. He says, therefore, in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, if you look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, there's a verse that comes just before it, and it's called verse 10. Just trying to help. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. This connects to what, I'm about, what he says up here. For we must, what's the word? For we must all, every follower of Jesus Christ, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne judgment of Christ concerning people's destinies. Your destiny is determined with what you do with Jesus now. Heaven or hell is now based upon what you do with the person of Jesus. But when you embrace Jesus with your life, the question is, now how are you going to live your life? And there is an accountability time coming for that. And that's what he's talking about here. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what we have done in the body or the flesh during our lifetime, whether it is good or it's evil. And so off that, he says this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, the accountability is what he's talking about. Knowing that I'm going to have to stand before Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the King of kings. I'm going to stand before him, and he's going to look at me, and he's going to give an assessment of my life. And he goes, in that moment, that's a fearful moment, by the way. And it's a moment that every child of God will have. It's not, you're going to go to hell. No, that's been decided when I embrace Jesus with my life. But the question is now, what did you do with your life for me? And it's as we are willing to walk in obedience, primarily in this area of, of sharing the gospel with people, investing our lives in the message of the word of God, and getting it out to others, that ultimately the good or the evil will be judged. Reward or lack of reward is what we're talking about here. If you want to know more about this, I encourage you, I don't have time right now, to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks more about this whole issue of the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul lived with this understanding that the day is coming where I will have to give an accounting for how I chose to live my life. And I have chosen to live my life to honor God. 
Because I don't know about you, but I live in the future, and I live to hear these words. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I long to hear. That's what Paul longed to hear. So in light of the coming accountability, the Apostle Paul said, I've got to do this. I've got to persuade people. I need to be willing to risk life and limb so that others can know him. So it begins with this fear of the Lord. But not only is there the fear of the Lord, there is also this thing called the love of Christ. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says this, For the love of Christ controls us. So it's not only the fear of the Lord or the accountability that was coming when he stood before Christ and got assessed for his life, but there was also this idea in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. Now, the, the word control has the idea to constrain my life. It has the idea to, to, to draw in and control my life and to give it focus. And so what he says here is the love of Jesus Christ gives my life now focus. I'm not just doing anything I want, anywhere I want, anytime I want. Instead, the love that Jesus Christ showed for me now constrains me and focuses me to live out this commission, this mission of calling people back to God. And he goes on to say this. So context is important. What is he talking about the love of Christ? What, what specifically? Here we go. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Verse 15. And he who died for all, that those who now live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and raised. What on earth is he talking about? It's a whole lot of words and not a lot of sense. Well, let me just put it this way. If you want to know what he's talking about, it's actually described very nicely for you in verse 21. Verse 21, again, is, is my life verse I learned it in the King James, not the ESV, so I'll have to relearn it one of these days. But uh, it says this, Jesus, for our sake God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What he is saying is this. Jesus Christ entered into this world, God of very God, man of very man, the God-man. He walked and lived the life I was meant to live. Perfect. But I didn't live it. He did. And then he died the death I was supposed to die under the wrath of God. And so what it's saying is this. This is called substitutionary atonement. I was the one who should have paid the ultimate sacrifice and been judged forever in a place called hell. But rather than me, Jesus Christ stepped into my place and died for me. And when he died for me, I was given life. Now listen. Jesus can no longer go around saying, be reconciled to God. 
Come back into relationship with the Father. Be reconciled to God. Come back into relationship with the Father. Why? Because he died. He no longer has a fleshing body. So what Jesus did is this. He died for me so that I can now live in his place for him. And it's now my job to go around and say, be reconciled to God. Come back to God with his voice. I now live the life that he gave up for me. That's what he's saying. That's why he goes on to say this. That those who now live by faith in Christ might no longer live for themselves. But now we live for their sake, those people who need Christ, because he died and rose again. So I now speak for Christ. I now beg for God in your life. I plead with you. Because he gave his life for me, I now give this life to him. In his place, I now get to go around as Jesus would and beg you, plead with you, reason with you, convince you. You need to give your life to him. So these are the motivating factors that pushed Paul forward. It was both the accountability factor, the fear of the Lord, the reality he was coming into a place where he was someday going to have to give an accounting for his life before Jesus Christ himself. That caused him to want to persuade others. It also this idea of the love of Christ, that Jesus died for him. And since Jesus gave up his physical life for Paul, Paul was now going to give up his physical life for Christ by being Christ and, and, and seeking to reconcile people back to God with his life. So those are the factors that drove him. These are the factors that are meant to drive us. We should seek to see that people become reconciled to God. And I'm just going to flash up one more thing and then I, I'm done because I'm running out of time. Um, but this one is the one that's been on my, stuck sideways in my throat this week. This is the one the Lord's really been working on my heart in. It's not only knowing the fear of the Lord, accountability. It's not only knowing the love of Christ, giving focus to my life because he gave his life for me and I give my life back to him. But it's this one. The reality that people will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction who do not know him. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the people in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul wrote this as well, so I know it was on his heart. I know it was in his mind. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Just before I read this, I would like to ask you to put a person in your mind right now that stands in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think of somebody close to you. Think of somebody you love. Think of somebody dear to you. Think of somebody who maybe even walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, got baptized, but right now they're living in the world. Listen to me, friends. A lot of people walk a lot of aisles, a lot of people pray a lot of prayers, a lot of people get baptized. That doesn't make you a child of God. It's when the Holy Spirit comes into you and you are born again and you evidence that through a life of following him. That's when you know it's genuine. So put somebody in mind that needs a relationship, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. 
Since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Here we go. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's coming. In flaming fire, he's coming. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. Not only those who do not know God, but on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Notice the Lord. He is the ruler. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This is the future of every single individual who has yet to embrace Jesus Christ with their life. That's why Paul was willing to give up his body, his life, to running around, persuading and convincing, trying to help people to understand who Jesus is and what he did so that they would give their lives to him. Because he knew that apart from his day of accountability, the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life, now he was given, he knew people were destined for destruction, eternal destruction, never-ending destruction. And you say, where does something this barbaric even come from? How does Paul even come up with this stuff? This is stupid. Well, Paul came up with this from Jesus. Jesus is the one who said this in Matthew chapter 25. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, God's love gift. Jesus, the one who is meek and mild. The one who is holy, harmless, and undefiled. Jesus said this. Matthew 25, verse 31. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and I will separate peoples one from the other as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Come and enjoy the glories of heaven. Come on. Now, the reason you can is by faith in Christ, but it also shows that it was true in their life because when somebody was hungry, they gave them food, and when somebody was thirsty, they gave them drink. When somebody was a stranger, they welcomed them in. When somebody was naked, they gave them clothing. When somebody was in prison, they visited them. So he says, the reality of a relationship with me is true in their lives, so it shows the genuineness of their faith. Come. But then, he will say in verse 41, and then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared by the devil for the devil and his angels. In verse 46 it says, And these on the left, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Where does Paul get such barbaric ideas? From Jesus. You see, these things that we're talking about right now are what motivated Paul. He was willing to give up life and limb for the sake of people being reconciled to Jesus Christ. And in fact, he said at the end of his ministry, basically, I wash my hands of everything because I have never failed to properly proclaim Christ. So he knew his day of accountability was going to be awesome. Each generation goes by and each generation is given the same opportunity and responsibility of reaching out to 
people with the gospel, of sharing this love with others. Why? Because there's a day of accountability coming, friends. Because Jesus Christ gave up his life for us, the only thing that we should naturally do is give our life up for him. And thirdly, because the people around us that we care about, all people apart from Christ, are going to suffer eternal destruction. <sighs> okay, um, yeah. Hey, Elisha, come here. Uh, I'm going to give Elisha a chance to uh, speak for just a moment before we conclude uh, with some thoughts for ourselves. Uh, Elisha has just gotten back from Peru, uh, where he was busily doing the Ministry of Reconciliation with the Quechua India people, Indian people, India people, Indian people, uh, there in Peru. And uh, many of you sponsored his trip by giving, and I want to say thank you. And uh, I've asked Elisha just to share a little bit about what he did on that trip. Then I'll take two minutes to conclude, and then we're going to have a baptism, I promise. I'll try to be fast. So, um, good morning, and thank you guys. Like my dad said, you guys uh, prayed for me and supported me, and that's the only way I was able to go. So, um, thank you. I didn't send out the last newsletter. Sorry about that. I am alive. I'm here. So, <laughs> Good to um, see you. Yeah. We, we were doing the Ministry of Reconciliation in Peru, and it doesn't seem as glorious as that when you're, when you're there doing it. Um, it's rough and it's hard, but it was, that's, that's what it was. And we um, have to trust in the Lord that even though we've left, he's still doing that work through the people and the churches that remain there. So um, I went with a team of four other college-age kids. One had graduated college. I'm going into college, so rough age. Um, so we, we went to the capital first, Lima, on the, on the coast, and took a 10-hour bus ride to the city of Huanaco, which was in the mountains. Um, this is Machu Picchu. This isn't where we were. Okay. So um, we were in the city of Wanaco uh, for six weeks, and we took up uh, trucks to the villages in the mountains, like 5.30 in the morning, get them back and pick up trucks, drive up. Really cold, but it, it was fun. So um, when, when we got to the villages, our, our main ministry was just building relationships and sharing Bible stories with the people because th these people... They are, they are literate, they can read and write, but the majority don't comprehend that well what they do read or write. So um, the, best, the best way to share with them is through Bible stories, storying, um, because they're an oral culture, and that's how they understand better. So we would um, memorize Bible stories and tell them through an interpreter, and uh, one of the stories, if the person was like, exhibiting um, a desire to know, know the Lord, we would, we would go and some people would kind of be interested in us just because we're the Americans, but other people are actually interested in us for the gospel, and that's um, the work of the Lord right there. So we, we would begin to walk them through a couple of different stories, but whenever they were getting closer, we would share with them the story of uh, the demon-possessed man and the Lord, or Jesus, um, cleansing him from the demons. So the story kind of goes like this. One day, Jesus and his closest friends were crossing a lake to the other side, and when they got to the other side, a a man possessed with demons ran down and fell at Jesus' feet. And this man lived in the cemetery in the caves right outside of town. And he would howl all night long and he would hit himself with sharp rocks. And the people in the town tried to control him. They would uh, put chains on his hands and shackles on his feet. But he would break the chains because of the demons in him. And he was stronger than anyone in the town. <clears throat> so he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, Jesus, son of the most high God, why are you tormenting me? Because Jesus had told the demons to leave the man. And Jesus looked at him and said, what is your name? And the demons replied, we are called army because there are many of us. 
and they begged Jesus, don't send us far away from this place, but they saw a herd of pigs on the, on the hill, and they're like, send us into those, Jesus. So Jesus gave them permission, and only by his permission, they went into the pigs, and the pigs went crazy, and the pigs ran down the hill, plunged into the lake, and all 2,000 of the pigs died. So the, the herdsmen that saw this were scared and terrified, and they ran back to their town, and they told everyone what they had seen. So they went to the cemetery where they saw Jesus and the man who was once uh, possessed by the demons, and he was sitting there at Jesus' feet, worshiping, worshiping him and in clean clothes and a right state of mind. So they, they were terrified again, the people from the town, and they begged Jesus, leave this place. We don't want you here. Go away. <laughs> so Jesus boarded his boat to go back to the other side. But the man who was cleansed from the demons came up to him and said, Jesus, I want to go with you. Let me come with you. I want to go anywhere with you. But Jesus said, no, stay here. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbors what God has done for you. So the man stayed, um, went to the ten villages in the area, and told them what Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed at what they heard. So this, this was the story that we would share with the people. Um, and if they, if they continued to desire um, and want to know more, we would, we would say, do you want your life changed by Jesus just like this man's life was changed and like our lives were changed? And we'd go into our testimony and share that. And by God's grace, um, they'd be reconciled to him. Amen. So that was our ministry. Amen. Thank you, Lash. Uh, he will actually be right over here in S3 following this service. If you would like to go over and just say, hey, Lash, tell me more. I got some questions. Uh, he'll be right over there to share with you. Uh, we take him to Moody Bible Institute in two weeks to go to school, to go to college. So again, thank you for your investment in his life. I, I as a dad, am excited, but I'm also excited about the ministry of reconciliation this young man's going to have uh, somewhere in the world. We don't know fully yet where. So, bringing all of this talk back home. We today in this area have responsibility to be, to, for the ministry of reconciliation, to tell people around us to be reconciled to uh, God. How do we do that? How can I encourage you to do that? How can we help you do that? Well, quite frankly, that's what this is all, let me get by those, this, that's what this is all about. Creating spaces to belong is what we as a church are seeking to do to help you to connect your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones into our community so that they can belong and connect in relationship with awesome people like you. You are all so friendly and wonderful and encouraging. Connect them in community so they can believe, belong to ultimately believe. And so the renovation of this sanctuary, the new chairs, the new carpet, the new lighting, the new everything is not for you. You're paying for it, but it's not for you. Uh, and, and the reason we're doing this is because we could meet in a barn. We really like each other. We really like hanging out. We do some cool stuff. But this is really for people that you want to invite to connect so that they would have an experience that would be positive for them. So that's why we're doing this creating spaces. That's why we're having Bacon Fest. We're not doing Bacon Fest just because we love bacon. We do love bacon. 
But it's not just for that reason. It is actually to invite our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones who stand in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ to encourage them to come to church the next day on September the 17th as we talk about a place to belong. Grace is a place to belong, and we'll talk about real community, and I'll have an opportunity to encourage them to join us in real community for a few weeks, and by belonging, they can believe. This is why we're doing what we're doing in this manner. It's to help you. It's to encourage you to risk this much. To try and connect friends and loved ones, co-workers, students, to who we are so they can journey with us to know who he is. And I'm just going to end with this. Um, our message is substitutionary atonement uh, for our sake uh, God the Father made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is our message. Jesus died in your place so that you can have new life and follow him. And we have a tool that we use in the life of this church that has proven to be quite effective in encouraging people to walk through an understanding of what substitutionary atonement is and how it applies to their lives you know what bring the curtain up please and you can click off there we go I like this part early in the service